make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to see you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be called children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Or not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, because your heavenly Father is perfect. Massive challenge in that last bit there, isn't there? Let's pray again, shall we? (coughs) Lord Jesus, as we hear your words, Sometimes it feels like we're just a million miles away as disciples from what you're calling us to do. So I just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would just encourage us and challenge us this morning. Help us to see those areas of our life where we need to be realigned to your wills and purposes for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our car went into the garage this week. Not that that's particularly exciting. Apart from the fact that he's been into the garage eight times over the last two years to have work done on warranty. And it was in for the fourth time to have the back speakers replaced. And it was in for the third time to have something where you put your foot on the accelerator and sometimes the car doesn't move properly. So you can be pulling out of a junction, put your foot down to accelerate, and it just goes about five miles an hour. And eventually it kicks in. Not, not really very good. But we went in, I went into the garage to, to pick the car up and they said, everything's sorted. We've replaced the back speakers. We've put the thing on the diagnostics. The fault is sorted. But you know, you come home and you think, is it going to break again? Is this a question of if, not when? You lose confidence, don't you? I won't tell you what sort of car it is. You can come and look at it later so that you don't buy the same one. (laughs) You know, sadly, as human beings, we're not really any more reliable than my car. We say one thing, we do another. We promise something, we then belittle the promise or sort of go back on what we're saying. You know, there is absolutely nothing new under the sun, is there? I was listening to something on the radio the other day about this woman was talking about how human nature, um, despite all the advances in technology and everything else, human nature remains exactly the same. We haven't managed. Without God's help, we cannot change human nature. So we look at this passage today. But as we said before, we need to remember that the Sermon on the Mount is not telling us how to reach God. It's not about some kind of works-based thinking that says, if you do all these things, God will think you're a great person. But actually, in the Sermon on the Mount, we see our need of Christ. We see that we cannot live like this without a life that is filled with grace, a life that is built on the salvation that Jesus has already given us when we follow him. And Christ, having greeted us, sends us back and then says, well, this is why this works out. This is what a journey of a disciple looks like. So we go into three subheadings. The first one is about oath-taking. This was a big thing in Jesus' day. 
People used to take oaths about all kinds of things. People would agree uh, sort of business or friendship by making an oath. And verse 33, Jesus starts to tackle this problem. He's not quoting the scriptures here, but he's quoting some well-known sayings of the day. And Jesus goes on saying, Don't swear by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or your own head. You know, you can't turn your hair black or white, unless you use hair dye, obviously. But what he's talking about is don't use an outside object to give gravitas or reliability to your words. Don't, don't do that. Now, we don't do that today in the way that they did in Jesus' day. Yes, we may, in a legal setting, people may swear on something, may swear on the Bible even. And just this week, I don't know if you've been watching the news and seeing all those horrendous events in Florida, you know, the, the shooting of innocent children. And there were a number of posts that I saw came up on Facebook, you know, people reacting against what had happened. And one of them simply said, in God's name, do something. And I started thinking, that's quite interesting, isn't it? The person was sort of bringing God into the picture, say, by God, will you do something? It was quite interesting seeing that happen. But actually, what Jesus is saying here is incredibly relevant for us today. Incredibly relevant. Jesus is saying that godliness is about reliability and consistency. If you try and make your words reliable by saying, no, I swear by this, that, or the other, he said that doesn't come from God, but actually it comes from the evil one. Why? Because if our yes isn't yes and our no isn't no, we've got a reliability problem. We become like my car, unreliable, constantly doing things that it's not meant to be doing. And so we ask ourselves a question. Are we people whose speech is full of integrity? Are we people who what we say and what we do amount to the same thing? When I say something, do I do it? Am I a person of integrity? You know, as you look through the scriptures, God's words and his actions are one and the same thing. There is no dislocation between the two. Genesis 1, and God said, and then what he said took place. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John will tell us that Jesus himself is the living Word. There is no dislocation between the words of God, the nature of God, and the character of God. Now, if you're here today, and you're already committed to being a disciple of Jesus... I hope that you're really concerned about your character, you know, that there is, there is something inherent in the gospel about being concerned about being transformed to being more like Jesus. Paul writes this in Romans 12, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Last week, if you were here, we were looking about how everything that happens in our life comes about through a changed heart. If we're going to grow to be more like Jesus, it's not about tinkering on the outside, but it's about the change that the Holy Spirit does deep within. And within a change on the outside, within a change on the inside, then we get the change externally. Then we notice that our speech becomes more reliable. The things that we say, the things that we do, become more consistent. This is from James. 3, 2 to 5. If you, if you read the book of James, James is great on the tongue, on speech, on how we talk. And he says this, but if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. 
We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of small bits in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. You know, we are prone to saying things, aren't we, that, never, that we never sort of act upon? I don't know if you find yourself doing that. Politicians get criticised for it all the time, don't they? They come up with this brilliant manifesto, and then when they're in office, they find that some of those things they've promised are not that easy to fulfil. But I wonder, are we any better? How many of you have a job description in a place of work? Just stick your hands up. How many of you totally fulfil your job description in your place of work? <laughs> You're your own boss, that's probably quite easy. But it's, easy, it's difficult, isn't it? To say that we'll do something and then fulfil what we've said we'll do totally. You know, many of us in here have roles in church. I wonder whether we fulfil the role that we've been given or taken on fully because we're people of total integrity. Last week we were looking at marriage and I wonder how many of us who are married actually fulfil our marriage vows totally and completely. Verse 37, Jesus says simply, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, be a totally straightforward transparent and honest person. You know, the follower of Jesus should be the easiest person to have as a friend because what they say they do. The follower of Jesus should be the easiest person to have as an employee or to have in the workplace because what we say, we do. The follower of Jesus should be, dare I say this one, be the easiest person to be married to because what we've said we'll do, we'll actually carry out and do. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Sounds nice and straightforward. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But as James observed, actually it's really difficult because the human tongue will do all kinds of things. We will twist our language. We will make excuses for ourselves. We will be reluctant to ask for forgiveness when actually we have done the wrong thing and said something that isn't a simple yes and no. And so for me, this is the big challenge for me. Am I consistent? Is my character and my speech the same? Or is there an enormous gulf between the two that is just full of hypocrisy? It's a big challenge, isn't it? Are we simple yes and no people? I'm going to do the next two together because I don't think you can really do one of these without looking at the other one at the same time. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, loving your enemies. This is probably the most radical part of the Sermon on the Mount. Yet it's the part that I think we are so familiar with Jesus' call to love one another that actually sometimes we just think, oh yeah, yeah, I've heard, heard this all before. You know, we live in the, the manse, and it's just through there. You can see the house just through there. That's where, where we live, the long commute to work. And every morning we wake up and draw our curtains out to that view from our bedroom window. That was a beautiful view, isn't it? That was this morning at about 8 o'clock. And even on a, a rather grossy winter's day like today, there's fields, there's trees, there's the stable block, there's the water tower, huge expanse of sky where you can see the clouds moving, see woods in the distance. If it's dark, you can just about make out the M56 right at the back as the, the cars go across in the distance. Yet the thing is, is having opened those curtains 900 times or thereabouts, not in one day, but that's over <laughs> the course of two, because again, I've got an obsession with opening and shutting curtains. Um, over the last two and a half years, that's about how many mornings 
we've woken up in that bedroom. You get a bit immune to it. And you start to lose that sense of wonder and beauty of what it is you're looking at. Don't know if you find you do that. You know, you see a view that just becomes familiar. And you know it's beautiful, but you forget to realize just how beautiful it is. Or you look at, say, we've got some beautiful flowers here. You look at the flowers and think, well, we know they're beautiful, but we forget to look at the beauty. We just take it for granted. And we can read Jesus' call here to love and say, well, this is just so familiar. It seems so ordinary to us, in a sense. But actually what Jesus is saying here is the most radically life-changing thing a human being can ever do in terms of how we live. Because it totally turns our world upside down. But you know, Jesus is only calling us to do what he has already modelled for us. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were enemies of God, what did God do? He loved us. He keeps loving us, even if we remain enemies of God. He loved us, and he calls us to model exactly the same character. And so verse 28, Jesus this time quotes the law. He quotes Exodus 21, verse 24. If you've got the time, read Exodus 21. It's a, a long passage of the Bible about sort of personal injury issues. Not like the sort of personal injury lawyers that we see advertised on the radio and things. But this is about how you deal in a legal situation with somebody who's been wronged on a personal level. And with the law comes the idea of justice. You know, if somebody has done wrong, you repay them to the level of which the wrong has happened. And that kind of basis of thinking actually underpins a lot of the justice system of countries that have been influenced by the sort of Christian tradition. So if you drive home today, and you drive down the road at 31 miles an hour, and a policeman stops you and tells you you were speeding, he will not put you in prison for 20 years for doing that. Because it was seen to be the wrong response to the crime. Yeah, actually, what was going on in Moses' day, before the law was given, if somebody, you know, took your eye, you'd kill them. You'd murder them. You'd do whatever. You'd remove that person. And so God then comes in and says, actually, no. Justice is about equal response to what has happened. Now, sin will be judged. The Bible is very clear. We've sung about God being our judge and our defender this morning. Sin will be judged. It has already been judged on Calvary. Jesus has taken sin onto himself so that when we follow him, we are free from that judgment in our own lives. But in our world, evil, law-breaking, still gets judged, doesn't it? If somebody commits a crime... We expect, and I believe rightly so, that there is justice served. That we don't just brush things under the carpet. You see, the call of Jesus is not a call to a free-for-all. It's not a call to overlooking the impacts of crime and um, evil in the world today. Nor is it a call for anarchy. It is a pos- totally possible for a person to fully understand that if somebody breaks the legal requirements of the law today, they may need to go to prison and yet still love that person absolutely deeply and passionately, and want to see that person flourish. So we've got to be very careful what we see that Jesus is saying here. What had happened, though, over the centuries, was the law in Exodus had been, instead of being used in a legal framework, had been applied to people's personal life. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees were going around sort of saying things like this. Well, if somebody comes in, borrows £100 from you, and then doesn't pay it back, you more or less have the right to then go into their house, barge in, Take £100 worth of stuff and clear off home again. That's the eye for an eye. 
We see the problem with that, if you repay evil with evil, what happens? Is you start going down and down and down, and the evil gets worse and worse, because then the person pays you back, then it gets paid back again, and you just see you get a spiral downwards and downwards. What Jesus comes in and says is categorically no. That is not how you live as a disciple of Jesus. You don't repay evil for evil. You don't do that kind of thing. If someone hits you on one side of the face, what do you do? You turn your cheek and let them slap you on the other side of the face. If somebody sues you, you give them more than they've asked for. You you get rid of that evil as it starts. You give them more. You don't give room for that evil to keep going round and round and round. The next one about carrying somebody's bag for a mile is about soldiers. Soldiers could come and say, you must carry my bag for a mile. That was a legal requirement. And Jesus says, well, you may not like that, but if they come and say, carry it a mile, take it too. Do the extra. Don't give in to that evil that is coming round. Give to those who ask. Allow people to borrow. So there are two things, I believe, going on here. One is that disciples of Jesus don't get into personal retaliation. Not on any level, ever. That is what I believe Jesus is saying. That is massively challenging. Don't get into that. And the second is we go beyond what a person is asking of us. We confront evil with good, not with more evil. John Stott puts it far better than I can put it. He says about the person who behaves like this, they depict not the weakling who offers no resistance, rather they depict the strong, whose control of themselves and love for others are so powerful that they reject absolutely every conceivable form of retaliation. Are you strong enough? Am I strong enough this morning in our character to live in that kind of way? To live the kind of model of life that Jesus calls us to live? It's easy to get this wrong. Very easy. You know, there's a story told of a man 500 years ago. Apparently this is a true story. And this man had a really bad infestation of lice. And he was itching to the point of despair. And yet he read the Sermon on the Mount and said, well, I can't repay evil for evil. So he refused to get rid of the lice. And he just kept itching and itching and itching. I don't know how the story ended. There wasn't an end to the story. If we read... Well, there probably was an end. John's probably thinking of the end at the moment. If you were here last week, we were looking at how people had read the the passage where Jesus says, well, gouge out your eye if it's causing you to sin, and taking it really literally in a really unhelpful way by chopping bits of their body off. We've got to be so careful that we don't read this in that kind of way. What Jesus gives us is examples of non-retaliation. We've still got to use our brains. We've still got to use our wisdom. We've still got to realize that there are consequences to people's actions in this life. There's another thing we need to watch out. James 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, Jesus wasn't opposed to resisting evil things. When he went into the temple and the money changers were there, what did he do? He didn't just turn a blind eye and say, oh, this is fine, I'll just go out and do something else. So this is wrong. This needs to be got rid of. What did he do when he came across people who were possessed by demons? He freed them from the powers of darkness. What did he do when he saw the hypocrisy of the Pharisees? Well, he called it out, he named it and said, this is not right, this is not the right interpretation of the word of God. He was not afraid at all about standing up for the rights of the poor against those who would oppress them. 
As followers of Jesus, we've been called already in the Beatitudes to be peacemakers, people who seek after righteousness. But you know, there is one thing to stand against an evil that has come into systems, that has come into teaching. There is another thing to make that a personal vendetta against a person. There is another thing to personalize it. And you know, Jesus would never, ever do that. There are no personal vendettas in Jesus' ministry. No phobias against groups of people. No resort to violence. What happened when Jesus was betrayed? One of his followers went to cut off the, 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 the ear of one of the people who was arresting him. And what did Jesus say? Put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And Paul writes this in Romans, sort of expanding on what Jesus is saying here. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honourable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. That isn't always possible. We touched on that last week. You know, but as far as it is possible on our part. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will, be, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. It's about personally how we deal with situations. You know, we are not capable of the kind of justice God is capable of. God is capable of right justice. We just have a warped sense of what we think is right and wrong so often. And so what Jesus says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't try and do that vengeance thing. Leave that to God. Just keep loving. Keep loving. And in that way, we stop that cycle downwards. Do we love like that? Are we responding to Jesus' call to be those type of people who do not take revenge? Who put that out of the picture? Do we live in the kind of way that Jesus is calling us to? Because Jesus then moves us on. He says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. I don't know if today you feel you have enemies. It's a very painful thing if you feel that another human being has become a, a true enemy. You know, somebody who just wants the worst for you, somebody who will do everything to destroy you. You know, on an international level, it's having enemies amongst nations that causes war, isn't it? That causes people to take up guns and kill one another. That's what being an enemy does. But actually, if you just imagine for a moment that the enemy is over here, this is the far extent of how far a human being can be against you. And say we're over here at the moment. There's a trajectory, a line that goes towards a person being an enemy. And along this line are all kinds of other people. You know, the person who always seems to have it in for you at college or work. The person who perhaps lives near you and always seems to find fault with the way you cut your hedge. Whatever it is, you know... It may be very little things. It may be something quite serious. But it goes right the way to the person who's become your enemy. Do we love along that trajectory? It's not just about loving right at the far end. It's about loving all the way across. Jesus calls us to love everyone. It was Valentine's Day this week. That for us means the highly romantic annual M&S Dine for Tea. I live an extravagant life, don't I? 
Well, Claire's smiling. What more can we ask for? <laughs> but Valentine's Day is all about people thinking about romantic love, isn't it? How to, how to treat the, the one, if you've got someone in your life who you, you treat in that kind of way. How, how do you treat them on Valentine's Day? It's all about this. It's all about that kind of love. So when we read this word love, I think we can easily get the wrong end of the stick. In English, we only have one word for love, don't we? And it's that word I've just used. In Greek, there's four words for love. And they all have a different meaning. And the one that Jesus calls us to in terms of loving our enemies is agape love. And it's a love that isn't about having warm, fluffy feelings inside about somebody. It's not any kind of romantic sort of love. But it's the kind of love that actually says, we want that other person to flourish. We want that other person to be the best that they can possibly be. We want to see that other person grow and become, if you like, more than they are at present even. It's not so much about how we feel towards a person, but how we act towards a person. You know, we're very feelings-driven, aren't we? But actually, this call goes beyond what we feel. Do you want God's best for everyone you come across in your life? That can be really challenging, can't it? Sometimes wanting God's best can mean that we have to have very difficult conversations with people. If I've got a friend who's, who's really suffering with, with addiction or something like that, me being loving towards them isn't to leave them in that place without actually ever challenging what is going on. If I'm loving somebody and they're, they're miles away from Jesus, miles away from the way I live, do I still love them? Do I still want the best for them? Or do I tend to retreat back and say, oh, well, they're, they're living in a different way now, so I can, I can turn my back on them? Do we love those who the world sees as unlovable? Let's make it even more dangerous. Do we love not just those who've been abused, but those who would do the abusing as well? Take it a stage further. Do we love not only the victims of terror, but the perpetrators of terror? That is the call to love our enemies. It doesn't mean we start feeling warm and fluffy about people, but it means we pray for those who persecute. We ask that somehow God will do works in people's lives that turn people's lives around, even when they have gone right over there and become an enemy. You know what? Jesus totally means what he says. There is absolutely no wriggle room whatsoever. There are no get-out clauses here. There's no love, no somebody when they just do X, Y, and Z. No love people as long as they like you. No love those who just happen to agree with you. No, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because you know when we love in that kind of way, that's when we demonstrate the very character of God that he has shown to us. You know, do we think that there is anything inherently lovable in us, that God should love us? Do we think that? Or do we see that it's just out of God's great mercy and compassion in his heart of love that he loves us anyway and sent Jesus to die for us? The call to love is precisely because this is what God has shown to us. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. 
And so we need to apply it to ourselves, don't we? I wonder if there are people in your life at the moment that you feel antagonistic towards. People that just are really winding you up. People who perhaps even have become an enemy. God's call is to love them again. Start praying for them. Start wanting that person to flourish. Again, it's not the call to the warm, fluffy feelings, but it's a call to action of moving in Jesus' direction. We're going to come to communion just in a few moments. Communion is a, a, a really good place to reassess our own hearts, isn't it? Because it's as we remember what Jesus did on Calvary for us. We remember that he is the one who has poured out totally unconditional, undeserved love on us while we were still sinners. And that we're called to model this to the world. So let's look today at the example of Jesus. Jesus who loved me. Jesus who loves you. Jesus who calls us to walk in step with the Spirit. Jesus who calls us to this totally radical way of living that doesn't allow evil to spiral out of control, but deals with evil with good. Will we follow Jesus' call today? Let's pray together. Let's leave that verse on the screen for a moment. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Lord Jesus, we're sorry for those times when we have failed to love. When we have sought wriggle room. When we have thought this just applies to to different people but not to ourselves. Lord, I really want to pray that as we come and take bread and wine together in a few moments, that we will use this time and this space to just remember and sort of come in wonder and awe at the the almost unfathomable love that you have for us that meant you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And I want to pray for each of us that if we've already committed ourselves to following you, that this week will be a week where we start to put this into practice again. It may be in your own life that there is a phone call you need to make or an email you need to send or a person who you need to go around and see. Or it may be that you just need to change the way you're praying about an individual. I don't know what the application is for you. But perhaps just let's leave just a moment of quiet to think about what is God's specific call in this area for you today. Let's just leave a bit of space. Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Lord, as individuals, as a church family here, help us to be known for people who are loving. People who are consistent. People whose character demonstrates Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you do a fresh work in us? Would you transform our thinking so that we become more like you? Just pray now for a a real fresh infilling of your spirit so that we can become those people you call us to be. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.